Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis how Abraham rescued Lot from the five kings and the symbolism of salvation and symbolism of Satan surrounding him being saved. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. You can download it for free. Now, we're coming to the close of the year-end for the Friendship with God radio program. We'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to keep this radio program going on this station in your city. Now, 100% of your contribution goes towards keeping this Bible teaching program on the air in your city right here on this station. Now, we also have a matching donation of 100% that goes towards Israel Restoration Ministries when you send in a donation. So 100% of it's tax-deductible, 100% goes towards keeping this teaching program on the air, and 100% of it goes towards Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries with a matching donation. But 0% goes towards administration costs. So this is an incredible offer. One dollar gets matched by another dollar, 100% of it tax-deductible, all of it going towards reaching lost Jewish souls with the gospel. God has given us a commandment to go to the Jew first with the gospel, as well as to the Gentiles. And this radio ministry and evangelism ministry does both. And you can fulfill that commandment by every dollar that you donate to keep this radio program on the air. But you'll also help to fulfill the Great Commission. So if you'd like to support the Friendship with God radio program with the matching donation to Israel Restoration Ministries, contact us right now at 1-800-247-3051. So you can contact us right now or call us after the show. one 800 247 3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org now or after the program, friendshipwithgod.org, to donate online. And now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis how Abraham rescued Lot from the five kings and the symbolism of salvation and symbolism of Satan surrounding Lot being saved through Abraham. And the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father And coming as just a lamb, he destroys Satan and his army on the cross, as it says, and turn to this, please, in Colossians 2, 13, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, where it's speaking again about us and what happened and the state we were in, how we were rescued. That's what it's speaking about. It says this, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So notice how in verse 13, the word you... That shows how these verses are personal to each one of us. Personal to us as a group, but personal to each one of us. We each have a testimony story. We each have our life story of the chapter of darkness and then how that was closed and we entered into the never-ending chapter of light. We each have that. You, you. Notice how it says in verse 13, dead. That describes our condition. We were dead. We had no capacity to love God. We were dead. Notice the words in verse 13, your sins, your sins. That shows the reason for our dead condition. It was our sins that made us dead. 
It was our sinful thoughts that made us dead. It was our sinful words that made us dead. It was our sinful acts that made us dead. They killed us, our sins. And then notice the words, your sins, it says here, your sins. It shows how personal the problem was. It wasn't other people's sins. It was your sins showing the personalness of the problem as expressed by the word your And that's the same idea as expressed in the word our in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And then notice in verse 13, the words uncircumcision of your flesh. Uncircumcision. Circumcision was a symbol of dedication to God. We're going to come to it in Genesis 17, 11, where God calls Abraham to, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Abraham was 99 years old when this unforgettable event happened. He obeyed God, and that was Abraham's choice. God called him to it, but Abraham made the choice to go. Every baby boy gets circumcised in the U.S. Virtually every baby boy, as far as I know, I don't know, but anyway. Growing up, I never heard of a boy never being circumcised, even Gentiles. But when I was in high school in Switzerland, one of my best friends, Joao from Brazil, um, he told us that he was circumcised when he was 12 years old. That was amazing to us. And he described very graphically the pain and how it felt and the weeks that he had to wear only a sheet for clothes. And he'd tell the stories, you know, this is like, I mean, you know, what else do boys do in a boys' sporting school but tell horror stories about being circumcised when you're 12 years old? (laughs) But that's what it was. Still remember it. But Abraham did not circumcise himself. I mean, I don't think he could. But anyway, he had someone else with a sharp knife do the job, the circumcision. He was 99 years old. He'd never forget it. I'm glad most of us are just eight. Well, at least, anyways, we're young. And the reason why we're young is so that we will forget it. But anyway, but Moses gives the meaning of circumcision in Deuteronomy 10, 16, when he says, circumcise, therefore, the flesh of your heart. He says, circumcise, therefore, the flesh of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. So outward circumcision was only a symbol of an inward circumcision of the cutting away of being stubborn, of being stiff-necked. And just as Abraham did not circumcise himself, but he had someone else circumcise him, so Moses explained that we do not inwardly circumcise ourselves, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 36, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So just as Abraham had to come to someone, some man, whoever it was, and say, here I am, circumcise me already. So we present ourselves, we present our hearts to God, and say, here I am, I give myself to you, cut away the stubbornness out of me, and cut away that desire to always want my way, and give me a heart to love you with all of my heart, and a soul, with all my soul, as it says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. And... It says in Ezekiel eleven seventeen, Ezekiel eleven seventeen. Yeah, in Ezekiel eleven seventeen it speaks about this cutting away, this replacing. It says, Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord, I will even gather you, speaking to the Jewish people, 
He said, I will either gather you from the people, from the nations, from the goyim, and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel, and they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my ordinances, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. See, these verses are like a big ball that's starting to roll. It's getting it's, it starts off here, the ball's ready to roll. First, God sets up this potential, and the potential is that He says that He gathers them. And then man makes that potential, or the Jewish people make that potential start coming by responding to God, by coming to God, and then repenting. And then the ball rolls, and there's no less than seven ands that show the ball. Each one of those seven ands is God saying, you know, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and so he says, uh, first in verse 17, notice he says, I will even gather. So what does God do? He calls. He calls to come, come, gather, come for the circumcision of the heart. And notice in verse 18 it says, And they shall come thither. That's man responding to the calling of God. That's man coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 18, it also speaks about what man does, and they shall take away. That's man responding by turning from sin. That's man's part. God calls, man responds. Never believe anyone who takes away man's part in responding to God. Never believe anyone who makes fatalistic statements that absolve man of his responsibility to come and to repent. Never believe anyone who absolves man of that responsibility. God, in his sovereignty, has crowned man with the sovereignty of choice. And man must, on his own, respond to God. Faith is not the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Now notice in verse 19 the words where it says, And I will give them one heart. God gives. This is a gift of God. This is not what's in man. God does the circumcising, and then he puts in a new heart. That's a gift from God. We have a new heart to love God as a gift from God. That's why if you want to turn or not, but anyway, Psalm 51.10, when David was repenting of what he had done with Bathsheba, the wife of uh, Uriah, and he said in verse 10 of Psalm 51, create in me a new heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. That was David's prayer to God, to create in him a new heart. David used the word create. David used the word bara, the same as the second word in the Bible, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And in the creation, we know, we studied it, that God created out of nothing. There was nothing that he was working with. There was nothing at all. God just spoke and nothing became something. And David was saying to God, there's nothing for you to work with inside me. Oh God, when you're working with my heart, you have to create from nothing because Paul put it this way. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, no good starting materials, no good thing for to will is present, but how to perform the good I find not. David was saying to God, his heart was dirty and he needed for God to create a clean heart. 
His heart was dirty. He was asking God to create a clean heart in him. David was saying to God that his heart was dirty. Why was his heart dirty? Because his heart wanted to take a walk on a rooftop on a hot night in Jerusalem where he knew that windows would be open and he was likely and hoping to see some naked lady. And that was David's dirty heart. That's the same dirty heart that wants to take a walk on the internet, hoping to see some naked lady in pornography. The problem is a dirty heart. The only solution is for God to create, to brah, a clean heart. And then notice he says back there in uh, Ezekiel, and I will put a new spirit. That's God's work of putting. He puts a new spirit. That's his placement work. And then he says, and I will take away the stony heart. God takes away the old man, the old non-responsive man, the old man that doesn't respond to God, the old man that is non-responsive. The old man that says, I don't care about God. I don't care what he wants. I don't care what he says. I don't care. That's a stony heart. And God said, I'll take it away. I'll take it away. And then he says, I'll give them, again, the gift of God, a heart of flesh. So God gives a tender heart. God gives a sensitive heart. God gives a heart that says, I do care about God. God gives a heart that says, I do care what he says. That's a heart of flesh. And then notice in verse 20 where the words it says that they may walk in my statutes. That's a new way of life. That's a new way of thinking. That's a new walk for us. And then in verse 20 where it says, and they'll keep mine ordinances. That's a new concern in our lives. That's a new concern. Say, you know, if I do this, is this going to violate God? Is this going to make God angry? Very important rule in life. Don't make God mad. Is that going to happen? And then notice in verse 20, the words it says, and do them. That's a new set of works in our lives. And in verse 20, it says, and they shall be my people. That's a new identity for ourselves. Who are we? We're a child of God. That's also a new name that God calls us. He said, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's a new name. And last but not least, really the most important, in verse 20, the last words where it says, and I will be their God. And that's a new name. We look at God. We saw the new name for ourselves. We're a child of God. We now look at God and we say, he is our God. He's my God. And when people say, just say, oh my God, oh my God. No, this is reality. My God, this is my God. And a new name that God calls himself. God called himself here, the God of Abraham. He calls himself God of Sam and Joe and Tom and hope he does. No, I'm just kidding. But remember the verse that described us like Lot, a captive, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh. Those two descriptions for us in Colossians 2.13 is that we were dead in our sins. That described what we had done. We were uncircumcised. That described our lack of heart for God. We were not dedicated to God. And that's a picture of Lot being carried away by Kedeloermer. So what happens? Abraham comes. Abraham comes, and it didn't look like he had any chance. He conquers Kedeloermer, who held Lot. But what happened with us? The Lord Jesus Christ came, and it didn't look like he had any chance. But he conquers the devil for us, the devil who held us. And Abraham delivers Lot from the power of Kedeloermer. And what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ delivered us from the power of the devil, which is in the chapter before of Colossians 1.13, where it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And what did Abraham do when he came back from his victory? Abraham returns as the great victor now. 
the great victor and the king of Sodom comes out and welcomes in in Genesis 14, 17. And he says, oh, he says, that was the slaughter of Kedoloermer. And that was, became known. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do when he came back from his victory over Satan? As we just read it, he having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them. It was a great open public display, a show that he had triumphed over Kedoloemer, over the devil. And so Abraham returns with this reputation, new reputation. He's the one who was responsible for the slaughter of Kedoloemer because of what it took. That's what it took to deliver Lot. And Abraham had to do what Job said was necessary. He had to break the jaw. He had to break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. And when Abraham delivered Lot, he had to break those jaws of Kedoloermer. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. He broke the jaws of the devil so he could deliver us. Tom, you mentioned that Abraham broke the king of Kedoloermer's jaw and that the Lord Jesus Christ broke the jaw of Satan so that we too could be saved. Now, many struggle to repair themselves or try to do right to free themselves. But instead of a person trying to fix themselves to be saved, they should just surrender to God who can free them. Practically speaking, what does it mean to surrender to God? It's very, very clear when we consider what happens in a warfare when a party is conquered and what do they do in the surrendering process. First, there is a declaration on the part of the conquered that they are conquered, that they are surrendering, that they acknowledge that they are surrendering, that they have been beaten. And so that is, in essence, like signing the articles of surrender, like happened on the deck of the USS Missouri. And there we have Romans 10.9, which are our articles of surrender, our declaration of our article surrender, where it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say confess with your mouth. Jesus, but confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, to speak and to tell others, he is my Lord. That is a declaration that a person has signed the articles of surrender. Second, there is a laying down of the weapons. And some cases, some cases, the defeated party will actually come and throw their, their, their rifles down in a big pile. This has the parallel for us in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where it speaks about weapons of warfare that we had against God, the weapons of our rebellion against God. And it speaks about them as our acts. And it says, know you not that the, run, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived neither, and here come the weapons of warfare against God, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. See, that long list are all the weapons that we took, that others take, to shake the fist in front of God and to be at a warfare against him and to rebel against him. But verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when we give up, 
those things that are listed there, when we give up fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thievery, drunkenness, etc., that's in essence throwing down the weapons of our warfare against God. Then the third step is when a person declares himself as a servant to the conqueror, to his conqueror. And here we see as a picture of that the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, where it says about Paul, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. When Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was declaring himself as a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ who had conquered him, and he was declaring himself as his servant when he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then the last part is really the follow-through, where the actual defeated defeated army will serve their new masters. They do serve their new masters in actuality. And that we see in 1 Samuel 12, 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And you know, it is said that sometimes the most loyal, the most dedicated, the most fierce fighters in an army are those who were the conquered ones, of those who were the enemy in time past and are now have joined the new army. And so it's not just enough to say, oh, Lord, I give myself to you and I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, not just to say it, but then to follow through with him being the Lord. That's why Samuel said, serve the Lord with all of your heart, not with part of your heart, not sometimes, but all your heart, all the time. And so that's what he meant when he said, and Samuel was acknowledging here, that yes, you were rebels against God. And yes, you did sign the articles of surrender by saying that you wanted to serve God. And yes, you have laid down your weapons when he said, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness. But he said, now declare yourselves, not only declare yourselves the servants to God, that the Jewish people, Israel, should declare themselves the servants to God, but he says, go ahead and do it from here on out. And that's a day-by-day effort on our part to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to say it with our mouth, not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And walking the walk is to serve him with all the heart. That was the advice. That, that the Lord gave through Samuel of how the Jewish people were to now serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, as we're coming to the year end, we've got an incredible offer for you to encourage you to give towards Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, Tom Cantor has written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book shows the scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament to the New Testament fulfillment. It's got over 80 pages of wonderful scriptures showing the Old Testament with the New Testament. It's an amazing study. 
And it also shows that Jesus Christ was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, for your support of $20 or more, we're going to send you this book. And this is an encouraging book, but it also, with your donation of $20 or more, we have a matching donation that we'll support towards Israel Restoration Ministries. So what does that mean? That means with your $20 donation, we'll go ahead and match that with another $20 that will go towards Jewish evangelism and the gospel going out to the Jew first, and we'll also reach Gentiles as well, too. Now, we want to offer this book for a $20 more donation for you today. It's a great tool. It's a great gift. It's great for Jewish people. It's great for Gentiles. Great witnessing tool for even trying to reach atheists. We want you to call us right now and order this book for a donation of $20 or more at one 800 247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. If you want to donate online, you can do so at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. But again, for a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you Tom Cantor's powerful book, The 194 Prophecies and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's approximately about 2,500 prophecies that appear in the pages of the Bible, 2,000 of which have already been fulfilled to the letter, and 500 are remaining for the future, and everything else has been fulfilled. Many of the prophecies were written hundreds of years apart by different men at different times, preserved by God in Scripture, and prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible have a 100% accuracy. So it is a statistical improbability that the Bible predicts anybody else other than the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah and being the Savior of the world and being God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. This is a great gift at Christmas time. We want you to order this book for a donation of $20 or more. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.